listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. You know what I like? You know what makes me happier? You know what makes me feel good? Is a little bit of stimulus. Or in this case, a lot of stimulus. Oh, I can't get enough stimulus. Nor can I get enough saying the word stimulus. Of course, the Prime Minister announcing some new stimulus measures in Ottawa as he wandered out from his cottage. I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little tired of looking at that black door every day. Every day, there it is, that black door. I know there are other things that we need to be doing right now, but could somebody slap some paint on that bad boy? Maybe a little something more colorful. All right, we don't have paint right now. We don't have anybody. Why don't we just go to the Canadian Tire, because it's still essential, and we get one of those projection things. You know, you see them at Christmas time. You know, either it's like snowflakes or whatever. Just get something colorful, a little bit more happy, because I think we could all use that right now. Hey, talking about stimulus, how's about this story out of Portland, Oregon? where, of course, you know, many businesses have been forced to shut down. But one strip club in Portland is bouncing back. This story on globalnews.ca today from Josh Elliott. You can see it online on globalnews.ca. Dancers at the Lucky Devil Lounge are now delivering meals on heels as part of a new venture called Boober Eats. Boober Eats, people. Not Uber Eats, but Boober Eats. The lounge takes, makes the orders, and then nearly topless women in pasties show up and drop the food off in person, but only from a safe social distance. Stimulus! Mother of Pearl. All right, here are the details from this uh, new Canadian emergency response benefit up to $2,000 a month. The money is coming. The money is coming, but not immediately. Here's what Trudeau had to say this morning outside of his big black door. We are hopeful uh, that the system will be up and running by the 6th of April uh, and that checks or the direct deposits will be flowing days after that. Uh, We recognize that that uh, is a ways off still and there are people who uh, stopped working uh, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, uh, that are now receiving their last paycheck and not knowing when the next money is coming in. We recognize that. We're looking for ways to help people bridge through credit or other measures uh, their ability to make it to the arrival of the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, uh, but we will continue to work diligently and rapidly to make sure we're helping every Canadian we can. So that is the Prime Minister this morning talking about the new CERB. April 6 is when that money will be available for direct deposit. There is a delay, obviously, in getting the cash into the hands of the people that need it. And one of the other things that was interesting that the uh, Prime Minister said, and obviously this is somewhat self-serving, but he did mention that there is some kind of money coming from media as well, although that is still to come. You may have read some reports that a number of newspaper chains are either shutting down or scaling back mass layoffs. Obviously, that has impacted pretty much every industry across the nation. But at this time, I think we can all agree that we need to get the information out to people. We need to let people know 
what is going on. Now, one of the things I like to talk about on this program quite a bit is mental health and making sure that you are taking care of yourself. The The news is just constantly coming in, and it's just it's grim and then grimmer and then grimmest. And it is difficult to process all of that, especially if you're a bit of a news junkie. You know, you're sitting at home, you're watching television, maybe you're on Twitter, you're listening to the radio, and it just it's constant. So how do you take care of yourself? I liken it to, you know, that safety video, those safety videos when you're on the airplane, when you're getting ready to take off, and they say, in a case of emergency, and the oxygen masks drop down. Make sure you put your own oxygen mask on first and then help others. And I like that analogy because if you are in a position where, you know, you're a dad, you're a mom, you're a son, you're a daughter, you you know, you have other people that rely on you for emotional support. You know, people come to you and say, like, is it going to be okay? And you're the one that says, it's it's going to be just fine. Everything will be okay, but we just have to soldier through this. If you are that person... You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your own mental health. And I will tell you this story. Last week, it became too much for me. It just, on Friday, I just, after all of it, just it just became too much. And so I'm working here at our Barbara Green, our Don Mills studio for Global News, Don Mills in Toronto. Uh, there's not many people here, but I come in here every day. Um, and I just, I had to go out. I had to go out for a walk. And I don't care who knows it, but I went outside and I had a good cry. I mean, I let it all wash over me. The fear, the uncertainty, all of it. And I gave myself a good 15 minutes to just kind of say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to have all of these doubts. And I gave myself 15 minutes and I let myself accept that this is how I feel. I didn't pretend I'm not scared. I didn't pretend I'm not worried. And then I went back to work. And I went back to work and I was stronger. And I've been stronger since then. And I think that is important. And I, you you can say, oh, come on, what are you doing? You know, you should, yeah, middle-aged man, come on. But I think we need to take that time for ourselves. And on the line, Marcia Sorota, who's a psychiatrist who joins me in the program, to talk about your mental health and how to keep yourself well. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Alan. And I have to say that what you just were sharing is exactly one of the things that I would recommend is to give yourself permission to grieve and to not know what's coming next and to just be with whatever feelings are there. That's very good for mental well-being. So just give yourself that time. I mean, I think for, you know, a lot of us and, you know, men of my certain vintage, you know, the, you know showing any kind of weakness is just an absolute taboo. And I think for a lot of men out there, it's just like, well, no, a stiff upper lip and I can handle it. But, you know, if you, if you don't take care of yourself and give yourself some time, how are you going to help others? And it's not weakness to, to grieve. It's acknowledging the reality of your emotions and dealing with them in an appropriate way. And that's a healthy, adaptive response. Denying whatever emotions you're having and burying them, that's what gives men heart attacks, those men of that certain vintage you're talking about. So... <laughs> Feeling your feelings and facing your feelings is is part of what we need in order to uh, deal with this very stressful time. 
All right, let's talk to those men out there of a certain vintage as we're talking about, because I think, you know, and not just men, obviously women too, and, you know, you have these people who are coming to your family members, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your parents that are worried, and how do you support them? I mean, how do you talk to them? Give us some advice on on some of the things to be able to say. There's a lot of things, but I would say that aside from all the basics, like making sure you take care of your physical health, because that goes along with your mental health, getting the facts but not, you know, overdoing it because you need that decompression time, reaching out to people, and also being there for others because that's going to make you feel better. There are a few things that I think are really helpful. First of all, when times are really hard, the people with resilience use these difficult times as an opportunity for growth and development and for introspection. And especially if we're going to be alone at this time or just with a few people, this is a great time to look inward and really examine ourselves and our lives and take stock and think about what we really want and what we really want to do once things go back to more normal, hopefully sooner rather than later. Another thing we want to do is acknowledge that we all have uh, depths of inner resources like strength and resilience that we can tap into right now and that maybe we haven't been called to tap into these resources in the past, but here's the time, here's an opportunity to really acknowledge how strong and resourceful and resilient we can be. And the other thing I think is really important is what I call developing some emotional calluses because a lot of us, you know, we're a little bit soft. We live in a very nice first world country. Life has been pretty easy for many of us and we have also some of us a tendency to avoid facing difficulties so we're a little bit soft and we're a little bit you know cushy but this is the time to develop some emotional calluses to face the facts deal with the reality of this situation and really grow that grit that toughness which will help us thrive not just survive in this very challenging time I have talked before with uh, therapists and psychiatrists about things like emotional coaching and emotional validation. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, I, I've worked on that just with my own family and prior to this crisis, to be able to say things like, I hear you, I understand. And then one of the things that I've been taught is get the butt out of your conversation. So no longer say, I, I know you're worried, but... And how important is it to get that that word just right out of all of your communication? Well, first of all, in terms of validation, validation is really important, but we also need a little bit of sort of what I call ruthless compassion, which is tough love. So we have to find that balance in difficult times because too much validation, you know, it can make the person feel validated and being overwhelmed. So you want to validate their strength. You want to validate their courage. You want to validate their resilience. And you also want to encourage them to take all the steps to, to take care of themselves and the people around them. And in terms of the but, for sure, I think that in this kind of a time, we all are called on to be our best selves, really. We have to face the truth of the situation, not be in denial, not be in avoidance, and we have to look at our reality square in the face and say, okay, what do I need to do to be safe for myself, to support my loved ones, and to just be a a positive member of the community? And I think those are the things we need to focus on right now. Marcia Sirota, psychiatrist, thank you so much for your perspective and your advice. Stay safe. You too. Thanks for having me, Alan.
All right, when we come back on the uh, Alan Carter radio program, we have a lot to get through. I want to talk about the returning Canadians. The Prime Minister was asked, why is it that we do not have actual enforcements for Canadians returning from other parts of the world? An enforcement under the Quarantine Act that says, I'm not going to ask you to stay at home. I'm going to make you stay at home and self-quarantine. Do we need more stringent guidelines or do we need more enforcement and your calls your stories about surviving all of this how are you dealing with it have you done what i've done stepped outside had a good cry and get back to work and i'll be right back i'm gonna grab my coat i am gonna be right back You may have heard that now there is an edict in the United States that anybody who has been to New York City at all should now self-isolate for 14 days because the outbreak in New York is clearly out of control. And the numbers out of the United States continue to be very concerning. Coming up, your calls on that. But I've got a number of emails and questions about this, about the mail. Why is it that Canada Post is still delivering? Is that a good idea, that Canada Post is showing up and dropping stuff off, that there are deliveries? Obviously, that has been deemed essential. Uh, Reading from the Globe and Mail, there's a story in the Globe and Mail, Canada Post is announcing changes to its in-store and delivery procedures, including asking Canadians not to answer their doors until after mail carriers have left to protect the health of workers and customers by implementing physical distancing measures. In response to the coronavirus outbreak, the Crown Corporation said that delivery employees will now use a knock, drop, and go approach, knocking or ringing the doorbell, finding a safe place to leave a parcel, and then leaving. Essentially, it's Nicky Nicky nine doors now for everybody. Like, ding dong, don't answer it. Don't answer it. Let the mail carrier get away. Uh, That story in the Globe and Mail. Let me just uh, click on that link here and see who wrote that. Oh, it's by Christine Dobby. That's my wife. That's nice. That's good. That's online now. She is, uh, like so many people, working from home, and she doesn't get to leave the house. Now, she's not self-isolating. She's just, you know, social distancing. And and for so many people, I mean, you know, it's been more than a week now, uh, and it's starting to wear on everybody, I think. And we're trying to figure out new ways to, you know, to be able to, you know, stay not bored and, you know, other distractions and try and get away from it all. And it is tough to do. And I recognize that, you know, as a person that actually leaves the house and goes to a workplace, I have two things. One, that is a, that's a great benefit to me for my mental health, but also a great responsibility that I have to make sure that I'm not anywhere else. I don't go anywhere I don't need to be. I got to keep myself safe and I got to keep my family safe. And it's something that is so important that everybody is looking at. And then I'm hoping that uh, Christine is going to join me on the show tomorrow to talk more about self-isolation and what's going on uh, in the world of business. She is the corporate law reporter for the Globe and Mail. But I want to get back to my main question for this segment, which is why are we not using the Quarantine Act to make sure that travelers and other people 
are absolutely staying inside. There was a question for the Prime Minister from Global News this morning, and you can kind of hear in the background here a number of questions and follow-ups from our Global News reporter, and then listen to what Trudeau does and does not say here. We will continue to require that of anyone coming into Canada, that they isolate at home for 14 days uh, in order to protect everyone in the country. It is required for people to stay at home for 14 days. Yeah, but it's not mandatory. And she asks it again, but it's not mandatory. And he just didn't even, just, he just looks in the camera and moves on. So do we need fines? I mean, in Vancouver, there's an amendment at city council there that fines could reach up to $50,000 for businesses that fail to comply with emergency measures. And then it can also issue tickets to individuals, a fine of $1,000. That's the maximum amount allowed under the Vancouver Charter. Do we need something like that here in Toronto? Meanwhile, in Newfoundland, police there say a woman arrested for refusing to stay home after she returned from a trip is now expected to make a court appearance today. She was arrested for failing to comply with the law, which could lead to a fine between 500 bucks and 2500 bucks, and a jail sentence of up to six months. What do we need in this province? Let's get to the lines. And Mike is on the line on line three. Mike, you are a Canada Post employee. Are you, are you playing a little Nicky Nicky Nine Doors dropping and going now? I am, actually. I'm actually doing it um, in apartments, which we've never been um, allowed to do before. But what I do is I actually go up to the door and walk. Uh, uh, I probably walk anywhere from 6 to 10 feet away from the door. I'll wait till they actually answer the door. I'm not taking any chances. But Canada Post actually has been taking a lot more serious over the last couple of days. Notice that they uh, actually have hired a couple more cleaners. And uh, they're doing their best. And we're all trying to just, you know, we know how important Canada Post is to a lot of people and, and how there's a lot of people that are waiting for checks. We just ask people. I've had a lot of people today actually uh, come up and try to grab the mail out of my hand. If people can just wait until we put the mail in the mailbox, we all have families and kids to go home to. And if they can just do that for us, that would be greatly appreciated. Are you finding people actually coming to the door and getting a little too close to you for your comfort? Especially when I'm actually going to apartments, because you know you have an apartment and you hear them, you, they hear they hear the mail slots and they hear the mail slots closing, and they can hear it and they're waiting for us. They haven't seen anybody in a couple of days, or they've only seen us. So they see it, and as soon as I go to put it in a the slot, they're opening the door, and I'm like, whoa, 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 just stand back. And I've had a couple people that we've actually had to cut right off because we know they are sick, we know they're sick in there, and Canada Post has been really good at supporting us on that. So. Wait, wait. Wait a minute, you actually have addresses that you know that somebody inside has got symptoms, and, and does that mean that you are not delivering mail to them? We do not deliver mail to those to those, to those those addresses. We've actually approached the uh, superintendents, had the superintendents uh, uh, take care of their mail, or they've actually handed the mail to them. So How do you, how do you know this? I mean, how, how does Canada Post know the addresses of those that have tested positive? Well, a lot of people actually will actually put a sign, and I'm not sure if they test a positive or not, but they will put a sign saying quarantine. It could be in self-quarantine. They might not be tested positive, but they might be, like, actually people that have come back from the States. And we're finding a lot of people that have actually taken the time to put a sign. And I do appreciate that because then I just don't put the mail in there, and then we try to figure something out with the superintendents. So how are these people getting packages and mail? Because, I mean, they need things, too. 
well, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll we'll go to the superintendents. We'll figure out a you know we'll figure out a game plan that they can actually have it where they can drop it off in front of the doors for us. Um, I, I you know I I've been on this route for quite a while, so I've actually had where I've gone to a neighbor down the hallway and said, you know, I'm going to leave the package outside. Do you have any way of contacting them? So we're going above and beyond in what we normally do, but these are the times that we are, that we are in right now. And I know with checks coming out lately, a lot of people are saying, are we going to get our checks? Are we going to get our checks? And there's a lot of people that don't do direct deposit. And I know for a fact we are taking every precaution to stay safe, but we will make sure that people do get their checks. Because that is very important, and people are worried about it, and so am I, frankly. Mike, uh, you you uh, obviously you got a family. You got to you got to be concerned about your family. I do actually, and I have four kids, and you know, and you guys were talking earlier about you know I'm I only see my kids every other weekend. I haven't seen them in one sec. I haven't seen them in about three and a half weeks to a month, and I'm trying really honestly. I'm going, I'm, I'm actually in front of Costco right now because I'm going to get them a care package. Because I haven't seen them in uh, like a month. And I, it's very difficult. And I, I know we're all going through hard times, so I'm trying to be reasonable. And thank goodness me and my, me and, me and my ex, we actually communicate and we talk. And so I'm going up to drop up. I'm actually going to Port Perry in the next probably hour to drop up a package on the front door. But... Just know we're trying to do our best. You know, uh, we're trying to be safe. We're trying to go home. We're trying to. We're just trying to be safe to go home to our families. So, Mike, I really appreciate the call, and I think I speak for everyone listening when I say we owe you a debt of gratitude. The work you're doing is so important. We know that you're out there and, you know, you're doing stuff and you're putting yourself at risk by going door to door and it is important and we're thinking about you, Mike, and all the very best, sir. And I really appreciate what you said earlier about you having a cry because that's something that I needed to do and I, 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 you know, I really appreciate you actually saying that on the radio. It meant a lot. So, thank you. Thanks, Mike. You take care of yourself. You stay safe. Yeah, thank you. Bye. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program. More of your stories in your calls after the break. And you heard Mike's story a little later on in the program. We'll be joined by a mother who has two kids who are in India right now. And like Mike and, you know, like me and like so many, you know, divorced, separated, and, you know, the kids go back and forth. But This woman has a situation where her kids went on a March break trip, and they're in India, a country that has been totally locked down. Her story is coming up. Before we get to the lines, we'll do a couple of quick world headlines. Riot police in western Kenya have now fired tear gas after traders resisted police attempts to close a crowded market. The country of Kenya has not yet imposed a lockdown. Russian President Vladimir Putin has now postponed a nationwide vote on a proposed constitutional amendment that would include allowing him to seek yet another term in power.
One of the scientists advising the British government on the coronavirus pandemic says the outbreak will likely peak in Britain in about three weeks. And the Michael Jackson estate is donating $300,000 to help entertainment industry workers on Broadway, the music business, and in Las Vegas, all who have been hurt by the coronavirus pandemic. All right, let's get back to your calls, what you are seeing out there, what you think is required. Brandon is on the line, on line three. You're calling in from Hamilton. What do you want? Do you think that we need to put a lockdown in place and enforce it with police, perhaps even the military? Yes, I do. I'm a delivery driver, a small business, and I'm still out here working, but I deliver indigo and luxury food items, but we're considered essential. For what you don't, you don't think, but you would believe that you, what you're doing is an essential service right now. No, it's a, it's a luxury food box of prepared food. It's it's a luxury item. It's not a necessity. You don't think that you should you you would prefer not to be working at all? Well, yeah, I, I'm out every day, and I, I see all these people still out driving around, walking side by side at the gas stations. Everything at the park still. I work in Burlington, and everyone's still out working, I'm walking around with each other. Now, I've seen this too, Brandon, and I, 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 the messaging is so weird on it because at one time, you know, at one point you got the prime minister saying, "Enough is enough. Stay at home." Stay in your homes. But at the same time, we hear from medical officers of health that are still saying, well, you can go out and get some exercise. And, you know, yeah, you see people together, but probably they're from a single home. They're already in close contact. So that's okay. And it's difficult to figure out, well, wait a minute, when I see people in the park or I see people gassing up the gas station, you know, are they doing wrong or, or are they, you know, following the rules? I don't think they are. What do you need gas for? You're supposed to be at home. And Trudeau dancing around the question of making it mandatory to stay home and the honor system, I think that's just it's terrible. I don't think we're going to get any better if no one's listening. All right, Brandon, I appreciate your call. You stay safe, sir. Thank you. All right, let's get to uh, Pete, who is calling in from Oshawa. Uh, Pete, have you been declared as an essential worker, or are you staying home? No, I'm essential. What do you do but for a I living? I didn't have to be declared that. I knew before. Yeah, well, I, I, I feel, I always feel essential. It doesn't matter. I feel, I feel essential. Well, yeah. So I have a question about the mail delivery issue. I thought yes. the problem with them was the fact that there's a whole bunch of them together in a sorting house to get the mail together in the first place to go out for distribution. So I'd be a little more concerned about them with their coworkers than dropping stuff off in people's mailboxes and worried people that'll come out and try to get it too quick. I mean, where we live, we have a super mailbox. Uh, it's rare that you see the, the postie anyway. It just drops the stuff off. And, you know, to put the fear factor into it, what about what they're contributing to the situation by perhaps not showing symptoms but getting stuff on the mail when they're dropping it off? And then I spread it to my family. I don't really pick up my mail more than once a week anyway because it's usually nothing important. So do I consider it an essential service? Probably just as much as a pot shop being open. But, uh, you know, beyond don't that... Take, don't take away the ganja. Don't take well, it away. Well, here's the problem. There was a gentleman who was speaking on the radio early this morning that was talking about something, and they said he went off topic. But realistically, 
the people that are going to be suffering and spreading the disease the most are the indigent, homeless people who have addictions for other things other than marijuana and alcohol that are that are going to be spreading it around the streets. Like there, you tell them you can't be outside. Well, they live outside. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's going to be issues with that. I mean, in my line of work, nobody answers the questions correctly in the first place. I'm not supposed to go into a home without personal protection, protective equipment. What is it that you do? I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know if I heard that, Pete. What is it that you do? I'm a paramedic. You're a paramedic. So you're a frontline worker. You're actually going into homes. Do you have the kind of personal protective equipment that you think you need? Yes, I do. And I, and I use it appropriately. A lot of the other people that I work with, unfortunately, are paranoid about what's happening and they put everything on for every call. And all you're doing is running out at that point. We have personally issued stuff that's supposed to last. There's types of calls that we were supposed to go to. The issue that we have is the screening process. If we, well, for instance, I did a call the other day um, where I work with a person who was, he had a fall. He was fine, but he had a fall. And the dispatcher will, will ask questions about travel and other symptoms, that sort of thing. And they said no to all the questions. So we go in wearing gloves and like we normally would. And the first question that comes out of the person's mouth was, am I able to be here to go to the hospital? Because I just got back from such and such a place eight days ago. Well, how are you self-quarantining if you're sitting with your family in the same room with four other people? And then on top of that, why aren't you telling my dispatcher that there was travel? You know, so we can't even trust where we're going. You know what I mean? So. Pete. Pete, that's a, that, that is, um, and, and I understand that must be incredibly difficult and stressful for you. I, you know, I, I said in, in the last break, I, I, I thanked somebody who was a mail uh, delivery person, um, and I, I want to thank you, Pete. I want to thank you for continuing to go to work and, and doing what you do. Um, society owes you a debt of gratitude, Pete. Thanks for your call, and please stay safe. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, when we come back, I have breaking news, uh, and I'm just going to tell you this right now because we were just talking about this and whether or not it should be enforced that people who are returning to the country stay in. I have an update for you right now. This has just come out. The federal health minister says that as of midnight tonight, it will be mandatory. It will be mandatory for all Canadian travelers returning to self-isolate for 14 days. Obviously, that changes things that the, the prime minister was saying you know, just about 11.20. So that has developed. Well, more on that when we come back here. Welcome back to the program. And just before the break, we had breaking news coming in for the federal government. They will now use the Quarantine Act to enforce mandatory self-isolation for any Canadian returning home from outside of Canada. And I'm just looking over the Act now. Details are still coming out on this, but according to the Act, on conviction of indictment, a fine of not more than... $1,000, if I'm reading that correctly, and on summary conviction, a fine of not more than $300,000. So it does have teeth to it. And again, this is just breaking, so I'm just reading over the actual act itself. 
the word from the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, saying that more details on enforcement and how it will be enforced and punishments for violating it, those details will come out throughout the course of the day. But that is a change because at about 11.30 this morning, the Prime Minister was asked by Global News, why is the government not using the Quarantine Act to enforce people to stay home who have returned from elsewhere? And he said, well, you should just stay home and would not answer about actual enforcement, but we're getting more details on that. So that's a development that has happened just within the last hour. Now, there are so many Canadians who are still sort of stuck overseas, people stuck overseas trying to get home, and their loved ones worried about them and worried about them getting home. And we've talked a lot on this program about separated, divorced uh, parents who, you know, have have kids going from here into there, and there are just so many stories about that, and I want to tell you about one of them now. I'm joined by Rajvinder Kaur, who has two kids who are currently in India, a country that has now been locked down. She joins me on the line. Hi, Rajvinder. Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I appreciate you taking some time to tell your story. Your kids left when and where are they now? They left on March 11th. They were to go on a 10-day trip to India, and they are in a small village in northern India in the state of Punjab. And what do you know about their efforts to get home? Well, um, they were originally scheduled to leave India on the early morning of March 23rd um, when Prime Minister Trudeau urged Canadians to come home on the Monday prior to that. They did try finding flights to return earlier. Uh, They were unsuccessful in doing that. I know I was speaking to a lot of my parents are actually in India as well. I know a lot of people who have friends and family there. Everybody was really scrambling trying to find tickets, but they were very hard to come by. Um, My children's flight was supposed to leave before India's airspace restrictions began on 5.30, at 5.30 a.m. on the 23rd, but their flight was canceled the day before they were supposed to leave. Um, They've now, well, that day when their flights were originally canceled, they were able to rebook for April 4th. Um, It's not really clear right now. Uh, Most likely we're looking at the fact that they won't be able to come back because of that 21-day lockdown. Uh, When they tried to purchase tickets to come back at a later date, airlines were only issuing tickets for May. So while it's a 21-day lockdown, it is looking very unlikely that anybody will return until the month of May. And obviously, they're, you said in a, in a small town, they would have to travel to an airport. Where would they fly out of? Well, originally, they were going to be traveling to the... They are going to fly domestically within India from Amritsar Airport to Delhi Airport and then from Delhi back to Toronto. Um, they, I, they're not running any domestic flights right now, I, I don't think. So they would be driving six or seven hours to get to Delhi and then taking a flight from there. We've talked to, to a bunch of people who, you know, who are concerned about, you know, not just their kids being overseas with an ex, but, you know, just being, you know, across town. And, and I'm just wondering how your communication has been with your ex and if you've been able to talk much to your kids. Well, I do talk to my children every day. I will say that co-parenting under the best of circumstances is challenging. Um 
add the stressors of a global pandemic and international travel, it has definitely been difficult. Um, there's a lot of stress, like on my end and on his end, and just trying to keep the focus on how to get them home safely is kind of what's grounded us. You said you were in India earlier this year. Your perspective on that nation ordering the kind of lockdown that it has? Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, at first when I heard about the lockdown, I was hugely relieved. Um, India is so overcrowded. There's like a lack of sanitation. There's so many um, aspects of being in a country like India that, I mean, you can see how COVID would just explode there. Um, so the lockdown was reassuring because I felt like at least my children were safe from contact with the virus. Um, but since the lockdown was announced, a lot of the media coverage in that country has focused on non-resident Indians or visitors like my children who come to India in these months because it's kind of the nicest time of year to be there and how they are really responsible for bringing um, the virus to their country and uh, putting them in this position where they're locked down. And like I understand there's a lot of distress, even here in Canada, we're all trying to figure out how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to feed our kids and do all of those things when we're not able to leave our homes to go to work. And in a country with so much economic instability like India, where people really are living, like going out, making money, buying food, bringing it home and eating it and feeding their kids, um, they're going to feel the pressures of that a lot more. So I am very concerned for the safety of children, like my people like my children or other Canadians that are in, in India currently, um, with a history of like rioting and pogroms that India has had. Even the day that I flew back from, um, from Delhi in February was the first night the rioting began um, that had been going on for different reasons. So I am definitely worried for their safety. What have you heard from foreign affairs? Do we know anything about, you know, flights that the government might send to try and, you know, get people like your kids out? So every person I've spoken to who has been in contact with either the High Commission or through the registration of Canadians abroad has basically been told, try to talk to your travel agent. And travel agents are being told, we aren't able to sell any tickets for April. So there's definitely a big gap there. Um, a letter that was sent out to all of the registered Canadians uh, just yesterday or the day before kind of it said that they were still trying to talk about things, but that, I mean, I've also emailed MPs and um, we've kind of been told have them prepare to be there. So it seems to me like repatriation is not high on the agenda. Rajvender, obviously a difficult situation for you and for your family, and you are not alone. There are many parents in the situation, you know, many parents now with kids overseas trying to get them home. I'm thinking about you. Uh, stay strong uh, and all the very best. Thank you so much, Alan. That is Rajvinder Kaur, whose children are still in India, and she's hoping that they will get home, but now at this point is sort of resigned to the fact that it may not be until May. All right, before we run out of time here, I want to just run through a couple of supports for you because you're going to need support. 
You're going to need financial support, and we heard from the government today that 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 is coming, although that is not imminent, that money will be flowing by April, April 4th perhaps, up to $2,000 a month. And then later on today, we're going to get a financial update from the province of Ontario. Expect some measures in there as well, although how much latitude the province actually has to get money into your hands That remains to be seen. And tonight on Global News, we'll have full coverage on that, plus a live interview with the Finance Minister, Rod Phillips. So I'll be speaking to Minister Phillips tonight on Global News to try and get the very latest on what it means for you, what it means for your finances. And let me just take you through a couple of more quick supports for you. How about this one? Are you concerned that you should or should not be open? The province of Ontario has now opened a new business information line to let you know whether or not you're essential or should you be shut down, should you be closed. Are you an employee who is working at a business who you think, this is not essential, and you're trying to figure it out? Here's the number, one 444-3659. That is that that's that new province of Ontario line. I'll give it to you one more time. That's one triple eight four 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 three six five nine. It is also easily to find online. If you just go to Ontario News or Ontario.ca, you'll find it there. For seniors, especially seniors in Toronto, I want to direct you to the Toronto.ca website. It has a social support for COVID-19 page and included under there for seniors, information for seniors, who to call. You can call 211-TORONTO 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for the most up-to-date information. Other resources for seniors in Toronto. There's a Toronto Seniors Helpline for support. The Local Health Integration Network also is there. There's a bunch of phone numbers on this website, toronto.ca, and just look, COVID-19 Social Support. You have some details there. Also, for those of you, like many of us, who are just wondering, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit achy. Do I have Do I have COVID-19? I want you to go to the covid-19.ontario.ca That's where you find your self-assessment tool. Let's just take us through it right now here. I'm going to go right through it. Do I have COVID-19? Well, here are the the self-assessment tools. Are you experiencing any of the following symptoms? Severe difficulty breathing? Severe chest pain? Having a very hard time waking up? Feeling confused? Lost consciousness? I would say no to all of those except feeling confused, but that's pretty much standard for me. I'm confused most of the time, so i got to go no with that. Next up, next page. Are you experiencing any of the following symptoms or a combination of these symptoms? Fever, new cough, difficulty breathing. Not going to go no on that. I don't have that. Here we go. Next page. Are you experiencing any of the following symptoms or a combination of these? Muscle aches, fatigue, headache, sore throat, runny nose. Again, no. And this is a line here. Symptoms in young children may also be nonspecific. For example, lethargy or poor feeding. I'm going to say no to all of those as well. So there we go. Take the assessment again. It basically says, here's the results. Self-assessment result. It is unlikely that you have COVID-19. So that is a great resource for you. Keep that right on your web browser. Every time you start worrying about it, you have a family member who's worried about it, send them right there. Go through that. 
it'll help. One more. CAMH and mental health, because we talk a lot about your mental health on this program. WWW. Remember when we used to say that? We used to say that to each other about websites. WWW, and then everybody said, you know what? That, that, that's, that's a given. You don't have to say that. But nevertheless, I'll say it anyway. I'll say it again. www.camh.ca. Right on there. All kinds of mental health information, ways to be able to communicate with your family members, a way to be able to talk to you know somebody who doesn't seem to be taking it very seriously. How do you talk to somebody who is obsessing over it all and on Twitter every 15 minutes looking at all the horrible horrible things coming on around the world? I say to my wife now, I just refer to Twitter as, are you looking at the death machine again? Because stop that. Put that thing down. And then she goes, okay, and she puts it down. And what do I do? I just pick it right back up. And I'm like, well, now i got to look at it. But you got to take a break from it. I'm going to go grab my coat, and I'll be right back. I'm going to go grab my coat. I'm going to be right back. Let me tell you this. One more thing. Take care of yourself. Be good to each other. It's going to be okay. We're going to all get through it. I'll see you again tomorrow.